0: Well, tonight we are kind of stepping out of 1 Timothy, but actually not at all. Um, We are uh, going to be engaging in a rhythm that we have um, put into our annual schedule uh, where we highlight and focus on what God is doing around the globe and how we have the opportunity to participate in his impact that he is making. Now... Our focus on global missions is rooted in one phrase. Um, Well, mainly, first and foremost, rooted in Jesus, for sure. Yeah. Um, But there's another phrase that's not as um, cheery, but it's what gives us our call to action. And it's the phrase planet death. Now, planet death is a phrase that if you've been around Mosaic for any length of time, you've probably heard a time or two. And, um, and, and that can either um, sound like a caricature or it can sound like, uh, like it's kind of an overblown generalization. Now we we use this phrase, and the imagery that comes to my imagination whenever I think of that phrase, "planet death," is something like absolutely catastrophic, right? Uh, I was envisioning planet death this week in terms of like a battlefield in the Lord of the Rings, right, where where everything is dead, nothing is thriving, uh, the ground is even dead, it's destroyed, it's it's all brown, and and there's this chaotic war happening, and armies are annihilating each other, nothing's green, nothing is thriving planet death. Kind of gets the picture, right? I I read this week that death is weakness to its fullest end. So is, is this world, is planet death an accurate description of our world? Is our world a world of weakness to its fullest end? Is it one of decay and bondage and brokenness or not? Or are we who use phrases like this, kind of uh, Christians who are just in the habit of using like doomsday language to kind of prove a point. Because when you go across the street that way, you go to the most magical place on earth. You go over to Walt Disney World and it doesn't feel like planet death. I mean, like, like things are pretty awesome there, right? At least from the guest point of view, like it's pretty great. <laughs> I mean, flower and garden festival in the spring. Like you see the topiaries, you're like, yeah, this is awesome. You see cast members who are so kind to guests, all of them. <laughs> and then you have families from all over the world, from all walks of life, with so vastly different belief systems, making memories with one another. Is this really planet death? Well, in the scriptures, we get this portrait painted of this world that we live in. And it's a planet that's ensued in chaos. Not that there is zero beauty or nothing redeemable about it, but this this reality that humanity has continued to repeat the same failures from the garden over and over and over again. And then we have the image of this spiritual enemy from the garden, the serpent who continues to tempt humanity towards doing things our way, doing what's right in our eyes, doing things what we want, not the way God desires. And then we have our, the heart, the human heart that seeks after shades of darkness rather than light A relationship with our creator. See, when, when we look at our world, wherever you think about the phrase planet death, our world is not one that we'd probably be able to overall look at and say, yeah, our world's definitely defined by peace and contentment and hope. Like those things absolutely describe our world, right? Those are things that most humans value in some sense of the word, but those values are really lived into actual existence. So we see the effects of sin on this world and in our lives, Loved ones die too soon. Sinful patterns of abuse or neglect happen to the most vulnerable. Our bodies even begin to fail us over time. But that's not the way it was supposed to be. In fact, in the earliest pages of scripture, we get, we get the vision of God's divine ideal for human flourishing. A world of peace, true love, intimacy with him, and his glory being known to the world. But when we look at the rest of the scriptures, all the way up until almost the closing revelation, and when we look in our modern context, we see that this doesn't exactly look like God's divine ideal for human flourishing, right? Even more, the scriptures paint a picture of a spiritual realm that lies right underneath the surface of our ability to see with our eyes a world of angelic messengers and demonic forces, forces of light and darkness, and then there's the false light bearer, the Satan, the deceiver who has come to kill, steal, and destroy. And he, he's so good at being bad. He can in one breath lull us into a false sense of, of security, believing that this world is our home. And then in the very next, convince us that the sky is falling and the world is crashing around us. I can't convince you of whether or not you perceive this to be planet death. But if it is, how do we overcome it? How do we overcome it? How do we exist in this planet of shadows and hope for anything better? Now, last week, we spent time in this hymn that Paul recounts in First Timothy. Uh, this is in chapter three, verse 16. If you wanna go ahead and flip your Bibles there. And, uh, and in this, this hymn, That Paul is recounting, we get this beautiful image of Jesus. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. Now, if you believe this world is as good as it gets, that human progress can truly take us to genuine flourishing, that by our own efforts, we can truly become better in every sense of the word, then this hymn isn't super relevant and it's not really that great of news to you if you believe as the scriptures assert that this planet is one of death, that our world is one of bondage, that left to our own devices, we are rebels against a holy God and against his way, that nature is even groaning for the day of redemption, that we have a spiritual enemy who's very real, who seeks to kill, steal, and destroy anything that is truly good from God. then this hymn, should cause you to be both silenced in awe and at the same time shout, ready to shout from the rooftops in gratitude. See, this hymn is a big deal because what it's asserting is something catastrophic. Now, a catastrophe is, is rooted in expectation that things are going to turn out well. And then when we call something a catastrophe, it's because things are turn, go, should be going well. And then all of a sudden something broken or evil upends it and goodness seems to be defeated. That's what we call a catastrophe, right? 9-11 was a catastrophe because it should have been a normal late summer day in New York City and in Pennsylvania. It should have been. Instead, a day of light became one of devastation. Catastrophe. Now, J.R.R. Tolkien, he tells of a different type of catastrophe. He called it a U catastrophe, not like a Y-O-U, an E-U catastrophe. Now, if you've never heard that word, um, that's because J.R.R. Tolkien made it up. But when you write The Lord of the Rings, you get to make up words, I guess. Um, So, E-U isn't a prefix that we use very often for words, but what it means is good. So, a EU catastrophe is a good catastrophe. Now, a U catastrophe is different than a normal everyday catastrophe because a EU catastrophe occurs when it is a day of devastation, not a good day, a day of d- devastation, when the expectation is that evil has won. And then goodness upends the darkness. So I was thinking about um, the Battle of Helm's Deep and the Two Towers. If you're a Lord of the Rings fan, you're going to love this. If you're not, just stick with me, okay? Um, so it's this epic battle that's, that's raging. And what's happened is these, these people, the people of Rohan have been driven into like this barricaded area and they are getting attacked by this evil army of orcs, okay? And they are just streaming in and it is clear that the good guys are not going to make it out. It's, the battle's over. They just don't know it yet. Like, like it's going poorly. Evil has won. And then they look to the dawn and this image is what happens. Gandalf, it, Gandalf is there and he brings a, an army that represents the army of light down from the mountain and they just, it's not even a competition they thought it would be, but no, no, it's a you catastrophe. It's a good catastrophe. Evil has been upended by good. The gospel is the ultimate story of a good catastrophe. See, in the shadow of the cross, when the creator is being killed by creation, when Satan thinks he is one, the Son of God is dying in humiliation. And then for three days, his disciples are grieving their loss. Their friend, their mentor, their rabbi, their savior, their king. The light has been extinguished. It's over. And then goodness upends evil. When the tomb is emptied. Jesus is risen. Hope has come. A catastrophe to the forces of darkness. His followers' tragedy has turned into everlasting hope. See, this is the good news. That the mystery of godliness made flesh, manifest in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, or witnessed to by the angels, is being proclaimed among the nations believed on in the world. See, this is really good news if this is planet death. Because it's not like, oh, it's just a generally like, we're a planet of decency. Because if it's a planet of decency, then Jesus dying on the cross is like decent, a little bit better. But if this is planet death, if the direction of this world is towards chaos, destruction, and bondage towards hell, and then Jesus comes Y'all, this is big stuff. This is good, really good news. And so then his followers get to join in with him, proclaiming the gospel to the nations so that it could be believed on in the world. In fact, if you go a little bit earlier in First Timothy 3, you might remember when we were in this passage, verses three, starting verse three. This is good and it's pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. See, it's speaking here of a very specific word about God. His desire, his desire. God's desire from Genesis to Revelation is that all image bearers would know who created them, who loves them, who wants to redeem them, who has come to save them. That individuals from all backgrounds, all ethnic groups, all tribes, all nations would realize the catastrophe of the gospel. That planet death doesn't get the final word. That King Jesus has come to put death to death. This is real, lasting Hope for life instead of death. That when the course of planet death takes, to, takes humanity towards eternal separation from God, God has come into the frame, manifest in the flesh, Jesus to redeem and restore us to himself so we could have hope for life instead of death, hope for peace instead of chaos, hope to belong to a family instead of a lonely individualistic existence, hope for a relationship with the one that our hearts were created to long for. See, God's desire is that all would experience this hope. But here's the question. Do you care about what God desires? Now, if you're a Christian, you probably go like, yeah, sure, I care what God desires. Do you really? I've been asking myself that question for the last couple of weeks. I don't know how much I actually care. I imagine you, like me, spend a decent amount of our time each day doing and considering what we desire. For example, some of you right now are like, I desire a Taco Bell craving box later tonight. I desire to watch the new Black Panther movie this weekend, or this week, me too. I desire to go hang out with that friend. I desire to get that new role or that promotion at work. We have desires and we typically try our best to live in our desires. And when you care about the desires of someone else, you typically will start doing things towards seeing that desire come to pass, right? Do you care what God desires? Because you see, this is his desire. His desire is that all would be saved. And if we realize that, if we care about that, then our privilege, our opportunity, not our, not our obligation, but our opportunity our participation is to allow our hearts to begin to desire what he desires. For those of us who follow Jesus, our privilege is this. Will we desire what he desires? That all would be saved through the one who is proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, because apart from Jesus, there is no way to God. So if we take that seriously, then the image of this beautifully diverse global family should capture the affections of our hearts because our desires begin to look more and more like what our father desires. That we would care that the nations would have an awareness of the gospel. That we would long for all to be able to respond to the gospel. That we would go out of our way to help create access points for others to engage in the gospel. Because the one who was mocked, mocked death by his resurrection life. And he is bringing his kingdom of light to spread across this land, this planet of shadows. You see, this isn't a mission only meant for those who work in other countries or those who work for local churches. This is the mission of every man, woman, and child who has been adopted in the forever family of God. And we do this, we participate in this as we live on mission, both locally and globally. We do this as we go about our days at work, in school, in our homes, as a gospel presence, as a gospel voice. We do this as a church together. Last year, when we had a Global Mission Sunday, uh, we embarked on a journey to go deep in investment with a few global partners, to meaningfully come alongside a few, to surround our global partners with our hope was to have global impact teams who are individuals from within our midst who would holistically surround and relationship our global partners so that they would be able to be fueled up to carry the gospel beautifully into their ministry spaces around the globe. Now, I'll go back one more time and mention it this way. This only matters if we understand that this world is broken in a needing of redemption. If we are willing to not live in ignorance to the spiritual and physical needs of our neighbors locally and globally. You see, if we realize that, then we have the opportunity to come alongside and to see Jesus is at work through ourselves and through the family among the nations that we would see his love demonstrated to a world in desperate need of it. This is why each of us need to take on as our own and not go, yeah, I live. I I go to mosaic mosaic. They use the word that we're a missional church. So I guess I'm missional too. No, no, we are missional people. And as we embody the mission of God to go proclaim the gospel with our mouth and to demonstrate the implications of the gospel, with the way that we love people practically and tangibly. See, this is why as a church we talk a lot about um, engaging and upending the vicious poverty cycle to upend the, ev- the evils of abject poverty because abject poverty oftentimes leads to vulnerability, especially among children. And that vulnerability, if left unchecked, leads oftentimes towards exploitation that's evil. And exploitation ends up funneling right back into abject poverty. So we continually seek out global partnerships for those who are carrying the gospel forward in word and deed and are bringing the kingdom of light into a planet of death. This is what we as a church have the opportunity and the privilege to be a part of. To join in in the catastrophic pushback against the enemy. Now, last year, I mentioned two partners in particular. I mentioned the MacPinsy family, who are serving in Malawi, and Sully and Lauren, who were about then were get preparing to be eventually sent toward um, uh, South Asia. And um, tonight, I am excited that um, Elizabeth MacPinsy is actually in the room. So I'm going to actually, instead of having a video of her, I'm going to invite her on stage this time around. And uh, and I have a couple of questions. Yeah, you guys can give her a little <laughs> that action. And our hope was to, so that she would give you both an update, um, if you have been a part of the journey with her, and if you're new, she's going to give you a little bit of some information about what their mission is and where they've been at. So Elizabeth, could you just honor us with sharing what, uh, what has been your ministry focus over the last few years in Malawi? Yeah, thanks, Danny. Um, for those of you who
1: don't know me, I'm Elizabeth McKenzie, and sometimes I go by Lizzie, depending on who you are. Um, Next year is actually my 10-year anniversary with Mosaic. So right, like, so I've been with Mosaic for almost 10 years now. And in 2017, I moved um, full-time to Africa. My husband and I live in Malawi, which is like sub-Saharan Africa. And we last year in 2021 we had the opportunity to.
0: Guys, we're just gonna turn that on,
1: right? I didn't turn it on.
0: There we go. We're good now. Yeah. Emily was like, "You know what to do. Apparently, I don't know what to do. So. <laughs> um, all right,
1: good. Are we good now? We're great. Good Good thing. I great. talk loud. So um, in 2021, uh, my husband and I God actually sent us out of our nice life in the city um, into a very rural, very, very poor um, village called Milala. And in Milala, it's a pretty much an unreached people group. Um, we work with the Chewa people. And their entire existence revolves around their demonic religion called the Guliwankulu. So these are the people that we work with. Um, My husband, Trezor, you might have seen him on stage last week. He's currently in Malawi. Um, But he is passionate about farming and teaching sustainable farming practices. Um, Since the majority of the people we work with are subsistence farmers. And so that's his passion. And I work with vulnerable women. So I run a sewing school where I teach them skills, um, on how to sew in business and also bring them the gospel. So they're able to use that to provide for their families. Another way.
0: I love it. I love it. Isn't that so cool guys? Like, oh, so neat. So Elizabeth, I was hoping that you could share a story of like last year, where have you seen God's victory on display?
1: So this question, um, my husband and I talked about all these questions before, so he knows what I'm gonna say. Um, but we, uh, we were struggling with this one. Um, this past year has been extremely, extremely difficult, um, for us. And we work in, a people group that for generations has been involved in the demonic. Um, that's not something that gets changed, you know, in a year. And so we're like, where, where is their victory? Um, we have just dealt with intense spiritual warfare and seen pretty much our, our amount of people that have come to Jesus is exactly zero. So like we don't, we, there's not a lot of victory to our minds. Um, but one thing that I think that God has been doing is um, we had the opportunity to take three of our full-time staff I lead them through a Bible study, um, which was the first time they'd ever experienced the Bible. Um, And we gave them Bibles that they were able to take home to their families. So for the moment, there are three Bibles in a very rural village that has never had the gospel before. So... um, what they do with that, we're still working on that, but at least it's there. And the word of God has been brought into their homes and it's sitting on their tables and they might not be reading it, but it's there and it's present in a place where for generations, there's only been demonic forces. So wow. that's a small victory.
0: Love it. Or a big one, I guess. Wow. thanks for sharing. Um, how has um, your global impact team uh, been an extension of God's care to your family during this, during the season?
1: y'all. I could talk for like 30 hours on this. Um, So we have not had a GIT team for a few years. Um, We've tried. There's been a few that I've started and it's just never, we've never really managed to make it work um, on either end. And so we have been praying for a long time for a team to come and like join us in this and really support us. Um, And so last... Yeah, earlier this year.
0: Yeah, earlier this
1: year. Trying to remember my dates. Earlier this year, um, Danny was like, hey, we have a team for you. We're like, yes. So um, our amazing team leader, Annalise, called us, and she's like, how can we support you? And we're like, well, we're coming home in two weeks, so you're going to have to figure out how to support us there. And I was like, oh, no, maybe she's not going to want to support us anymore because we're not, like, actually overseas. Um, But they have been amazing to just jump in with us and, like— support us being here. Um, They set up our house for us before we got back, and they stocked our fridge with groceries, and they, like, made sure we had sheets on our beds and, like, things that, like, we couldn't do from overseas, and they just did it, and they were just like, what can we do? Let's do it. Um, They have just supported us, especially through this time that we've been going through with my husband gone and... um, I just, all I can think about is that they go above and beyond, right? Like their care is above and beyond. And we have had an extremely challenging year and they have just shown us love in ways that just, we were like, okay, like God's still there and he still loves us because he's loving us through them. So they have been
0: mm-hmm.
1: one of the biggest blessings of our time is this community here and our GIT team. Wow.
0: Thanks for sharing. I just want to, just for a second, quickly just honor all of you in the room right now who are a part of the Global Impact Team. Guys, thank you so much. Yeah, Yeah, I'm so thankful um, that they have been surrounding you guys so well and such love. So what challenges are your family currently experiencing right now?
1: Uh, well, at the moment, we are standing in the middle of one of the most challenging seasons of our lives. Uh, my husband is from Congo, and his immigration case was denied. Um, so on Tuesday, in order to obey the law, he had to go back to Malawi. So he is currently there, and we do not know when we are going to see him again. So that's one of the one of the things we're working through, um, is this indefinite period of separation. Um, and... Yeah, I mean it's obviously it's hard um but God is good and we're working through that. And so that's our biggest challenge that we're like standing in at the moment. Um but another huge challenge that we have is we live in this very rural village but we don't have a house. So we managed to build a school for to teach farming and offices and for my sewing. And so we moved our family into a classroom. Um so for the past year and a half we've been living in a classroom which is not a great living environment, um, especially where we live. Like we don't have running water, we don't have solid electricity, and we also don't have a house. Um, so that's been a, really, that's been a really hard challenge, um, especially because our school is our ministry base. So we are in the middle of a deeply demonic spiritual war and we don't have any retreat because we live in the same place that we bring people into. Um, so that's, that's been another huge challenge in our lives. Yeah,
0: absolutely. With that, how can we be partnering with you in this season?
1: Um, So, there's three things I can think of. Um, One of them is prayer. Um, We need a miracle to get my husband back. So, we are praying for God to do a miracle that he'll be here on Turkey Eve. The government says it's not possible. The senator says it's not possible. Everyone we've talked to says it's not possible, but we know that God can do it. And we know that with God, all things are possible. So I hope that we can all pray and we'll all show up on Turkey Eve and he'll be with us and we'll just see God do that. So that's what we're praying for. So pray with us for that miracle and for a house. We need a house. So pray with us for that too. Um, There's also financially, I think every missionary will tell you prayers and finances are like the two things that they can partner with you in. Um we have about $500 more that we need in monthly support to be fully funded. Um so if that's an area you would want to step into and joining us like every month on that. Um and also we need a house and houses need money. So um to build a house that's also yeah. an area. And my third thing is to go. We would love to have a team of you to come with us um when we go back we'll be back next year and Come join us and like, let's do some practical stuff and come help on the farm and um, show you what we can do.
0: Love it. Yeah, absolutely. love it. Yeah, um, one of the things that I told Elizabeth when they first came back here was, my hope is that um, by the time they leave from their sabbatical season to go back to Malawi, that we would already have a date set with the team who'd be coming to visit them. Um, so that's our hope and our prayer um, for you guys. So um, now we're gonna take a moment to pray for Lizzie, for, um, for Trezor, and for uh, their young son, Jed. Um, and so what I would invite you guys to do is we're just gonna take a few moments to just simply pray from your seat in silence. And let's just lift them up and intercede on their behalf because we have a faithful God who desires to hear from his kids for one another. Father, I lift up my sister Lizzie to you right now. She needs you desperately. I praise you that that both her and Trezor are given in this season an opportunity to cling to you because so much seems uncertain, so much um, seems out of control. So I pray that they would cling to you, the one who is sovereign over all things. Draw them near to you. We pray for um, for miracles through all the bureaucratic red tape, through all the scheduling and emails and all of it so that Trezor could be here in this building with us on Turkey Eve. Lord, we pray for a house that the finances would be there to be fully funded, that the finances would miraculously show up in in just in in just the coolest ways that were just That can't point to one person or one organization and say, oh, yeah, of course, they had a lot of money, so it makes sense. But instead, it would be your kids coming together to help them enter into spaces of miracles, to be the extension of your hands and your feet. As Lizzie and Trezor desire to be your hands and your feet into some really dark, really difficult places so they can see your redemptive work in Malawi. Pray for the team. Pray for Trezor even right now and pray for Lizzie and Jed in the weeks and months ahead. Um, hopefully only weeks, um, but for however long um, that Trasor is overseas, would you wrap them up in your arms, in your care, through your church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank Thanks, you, Danny. Lizzie. Awesome. Um, I reached out to Sully and Lauren. Uh, they are in uh, South Asia, and uh, they sent me a video answering some questions as well. So let's go ahead and watch them on the screen. Father, we thank you for Sully and Lauren, for guiding them, for sending them to go and minister into South Asia. Pray for their marriage, that they would grow strong together, that they would be effective for the gospel together, and they would reflect your beauty in their relationship and the way that they love one another, and that that would be a testament to the gospel in the culture that they are in. And pray um, for the soil that you would bring the right people who are going to um, respond well to the gospel. We pray for open ears and open hearts. That in this community, in this unreached people group, that the gospel would be made known, be proclaimed, would be believed in. Yes, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as both um, Lizzie and Celine, and Lauren shared, there are multiple ways that you can join in on the impact. One, the first way you can do that is as you give to Mosaic Church, we actively are supporting these and other global partners all around the globe. So when you are giving in spaces of um, tithes and offerings, you are actively participating in this in no small order. Um, so know that. Uh, second is to join in on the global impact team. Um, the Mepinzi's is already off the ground. Solan Lawrence is not official, but I'd love to talk with their friends who are in regular contact with them about what that can look like moving into the future. And if you want to join either of those realities, those are open to you. Third, as they both said, prayer is a big thing and it actually matters. Um, so we have prayer cards for both of them in the lobby when you're leaving tonight. Take those prayer cards with you. They have... Um, they have on the back um, some prayer requests on them uh, and at very least it'll be a good thing to have on your fridge to remind you to pray for them as a prayer reminder and then fourth commit to specific giving with Mapenzis or Sully and Lauren um, uh, we'll put up that QR code one more time um, this is a QR code for uh, Sully and Lauren um, for their giving link um, so both of those are opportunities you can chat with our blue shirts and they can also make sure you get the right information and we have Lizzie right here so you can chat with her about it if you'd like. Now I mentioned all of this because what they're doing matters. And not like, sometimes you hear the stories, you hear the difficulties, like Lizzie was sharing about the deep demonic influences within that, that area. And you can go, does Jesus' victory actually mean a lot? Does it? Sometimes for me, it can feel like the, the good news of Jesus, Jesus's victory is like, if you're watching cable news and there's like the banner at the bottom and it like gives you headlines and like on the banner, it says, Jesus won on the cross. And you're like, oh, that's good. I'm glad he won on the cross in that distant far off place all that time ago. But like, and then you kind of continue living your day, but it actually does matter. See, I sense my own struggles, the struggles of those around me and the difficulties in the world around me, and it can sometimes feel hopeless. But then I look at the scriptures and I am reminded that Jesus's victory has upended the enemy. I want to read that hymn to you one last time. This is a hymn that was sang in the early church. The mystery of godliness is this: he was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. You want to know something that's cool about this is what it's saying is the battle's not in question, and it's not insignificant. he wins, he wins. And notice that each of these phrases are definitive. It's already done. He is already manifested in the flesh. He's already been vindicated by the spirit. He's already been seen by the angels. He's already been proclaimed in the nations, believed on it in the world, taken up in glory. This isn't like, I don't know how this is going to end. We know how this ends. And the hero defeats the dragon, and so when we engage in global mission, when we, when we surrender our comforts and pray, the, the crazy prayer that Lizzie prayed, God, would you send me? And the answer is, yeah, we go. Not because we have a guarantee of what it's going to look like, but because he's gone and we go with him. See, our greatest reason for engaging in mission is not the results that we envision. Our greatest reason for engaging in mission in your break rooms at Walt Disney World is not the conversion of your break room. It is to be with Jesus where Jesus is. Leslie Newbegin said it this way, I think the deepest motive, motive for mission is simply the desire to be with Jesus where he is on the frontier. The frontier between the reign of God and the usurped dominion of the devil. See, that's what we get the opportunity to engage in is to go be with Jesus where Jesus is. What invitation we have to journey with the king and witness his work. This is an invitation that's not just like a one-time altar call kind of thing. It is a daily invitation And even if you are sent overseas, even there, it is still a daily invitation. As you carry the gospel in word and deed to your break rooms and into your communities, this is a daily invitation. As you engage globally through our global partnerships, as you even consider surrendering your desires to God, potentially being sent among the nations, this is a daily invitation. I'm gonna invite the band to come on up. And see, what I would pray for our church is that this, that this world would witness the church, our local church, as well as the church around the globe as more than just an organization, but a people who has been renewed and restored by the upending defeat of the enemy. Would you pray for that with me? Father, I thank you for what you are doing in the world that you are that you are on the move that even when we don't see you moving even when we don't even feel you moving you're moving you are up to a work that is vastly beyond what we could ask for or imagine you are bringing redemption lord we know what your desires in the scriptures that you pursue us Lost broken children, and you were sore as, as sons and daughters of the king of the cosmos. Lord, would you use your church to proclaim the mystery of godliness to the world? that when we get to the other side of eternity and we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses at the, the wedding feast of the Lamb, that we would see brothers and sisters throughout the ages and throughout the globe coming together, worshiping the groom. You're good and you're kind. Thank you for this invitation that you've given us. Give us the strength by your spirit to say yes.